0: he sings, he worships, he praises God. And I think my argument will be, we need that kind of Christianity. One that doesn't uh, scream at the storm, wasn't one that doesn't get taken out when the waves get really big, or when the giants are in the land, or when everything seems lost. But a, a Christianity that says, you know what, my eyes are on Jesus. And no matter what happens, I'm going to keep them there. And If you've walked with Christ long enough, I mean, the tagline here is walking by faith isn't easy. This is way easier said than done because every day, sometimes multiple times throughout the day, we have to make this decision after this circumstance, after this conversation with somebody, after somebody cuts us off in traffic, after this happens, after you drive maple for half a mile, you want to choke somebody. I got to drive that every day. Celebrate has meant a lot to me this year. I've barely taken my motorcycle out because I can't, I don't want to drive it on Maple. So I when I see Peter step out of the boat, when I read the account of what occurs between Peter and Jesus and the waves and the storm, I don't know about you, but I get it. I understand. I don't look at Peter and say, Oh, faithless Peter. Oh, what a terrible person. Oh, pathetic. I look at it and say, man, I get it. I get what that's like to want Jesus, to want to do what Jesus is doing, to want to engage with Jesus on the level where he's at, to want to make Jesus proud, to want to reach him in the midst of everything going on, but getting taken out by what's happening happening all around us. I get it. I've been there. If you haven't, man, you should preach instead of me because that's pretty impressive. Most of us, if we're honest, we understand what it's like to have the cares of the world, to have the anxiety, the stress, the the worries just crowd in so much that we take our eyes off Jesus. So I read this account of Peter, and I just understand. See, one thing here is Peter's in uncharted territory. He doesn't have anybody's example to follow. He doesn't know the protocol for walking on water. He doesn't know the the protocol for doing something that's physically impossible to do. He doesn't know that. I would argue, Peter doesn't know that the waves are irrelevant, he doesn't know that the storm is irrelevant because in Peter's experience, in Peter's line of work, in all of his life, they have always been relevant. The waves matter. The storm matters, because he's a fisherman, and he knows that can mean death. But more importantly, he hasn't matured in his faith in Christ enough to trust him in the midst of the storm and the waves. His brain still is in control, His rational mind is still in control. And do I mean that to be a a faithful Christian, you don't have to have a rational mind? Not at all. What I'm saying is the priority order becomes Jesus and then everything else follows that. And so if Jesus calls us to do something as silly as he calls Peter to do and says, yes, come out, come on, walk on this water, that our rational mind would tell us, that's ridiculous, don't do it, you'll die, that has to take second seat to what Jesus says in our life. From what we can see of Peter in the Gospels, if you do ever do a character study on Peter, Peter was a man ruled by his emotions. It becomes very clear as you look at his track record. Peter's emotions were not something he was able to hide very well. People knew how Peter felt about just about everything. So when the emotion of fear rears its ugly head on the Sea of Galilee that stormy morning, Peter, who passionately followed Jesus, arguably one of the most passionate disciples, was taken out by fear. Peter experienced what I'm referring to as sinking fear. It was a fear that sunk him where he stood. The type of fear that will take your eyes off Jesus and focus them on the things that are feeding your fears. Becomes very easy to do. Most of us, if we're honest, we can say, I know exactly what that's like. Because for whatever reason, I get on the internet or I turn on the news and I know it's going to make me more afraid and yet I continue to watch it, I continue to read it, I continue to, to... fill my mind with these articles, with this information, that all it does is drive the fear. And we continue to do it. And what does it do? It takes us out. takes our eyes off of Jesus, and it feeds our fears. So I want you to take a look at the account of Peter walking on the water again. And as you do, I want to see if you can identify, as you read it, the three types of fear that we're going to be talking about the next couple weeks. The fear of inadequacy, the fear of control, or lack thereof, and the fear of disappointment. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 32. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, so if you want to follow along in the New Living Translation, you can follow along with that. Matthew 14, 22 to 32. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples... So if you can help me out there, back there. Uh, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. So I don't know if when you read that you can see the fear. And The Bible is very clear. Peter was terrified, not once but twice, in the midst of this account. But fear is a very real thing that changes this entire story. If there was no fear, I believe this would be a totally different account. So I want to talk today about the first type of fear that I see Peter struggling with in this account, and it's the fear of inadequacy. I can imagine that as Peter stepped out of the boat and onto the water, a pioneer of human origin, stepping out into what no man has ever done before, he sees Jesus doing it, and so he I guess thinks it's possible. But loud, boastful, prideful Peter comes face to face with his own inadequacy. I can imagine, I can only imagine because it doesn't tell us, the thoughts which must have run through Peter's head at that moment. What am I doing on this water? As he just takes a few steps. What was I thinking getting out of the boat? Why did I do that? Maybe his rational brain kicked in. People can't walk on water. What am I doing? How am I doing this? What is going on? Whether these thoughts went through Peter's mind or not, I can't say for sure. But when I read this account, it certainly seems to fit that something occurs in Peter's mind as he sees the wind, as he sees the waves, as the storm howls around him. Something changes. Because he had enough faith to get out of the boat, but he doesn't have enough faith to get to Jesus. So something changes. We don't know how far Jesus was. Jesus could have been 100 yards away from him. Peter could have made it halfway, three-quarters of the way. We don't know. Peter could have made it three steps. He could have only made it one step. All we know is that it says he began to walk toward Jesus. He got out, he stood on the water, and he began to walk on the water what I do see is this this mirrors fears that we all experience when stepping out on faith to do something that God has called us to do. And if as you read this or as we talk about this today, you say, well, that's never happened to me, maybe you've never stepped out on faith into something that God has called you to do. Because those of us that have know, yeah, you're you're hit pretty quick with your inadequacy. (laughs) When you attempt to do what God calls you to do, The enemy will remind you and make it very clear your inadequacy. When God calls you to step out on faith, whether it's a yes, come, like he said to Peter, or maybe God calls you to a particular ministry, maybe he calls you overseas or to be more vocal about your faith, the enemy will most certainly remind you you are inadequate. In my experience, it'll be a reminder of a few key things. One, our ability or our lack thereof. But what does God say about our ability? Deuteronomy 31.6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. That's pretty good. I don't know about you, but if I was going to fight somebody, I'd be real happy if God of all creation went ahead of me and I knew that he was the one doing most of the work. That's pretty reassuring to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, I've read this verse a lot of times. You probably have heard it or read it yourself many times. But man, it doesn't make any sense. Not rationally, it doesn't make any sense. If I were to say to you, if you were training somebody in a job and and they said, well, I'm really, really bad at this, you wouldn't look at them and say, praise the Lord, you're terrible at this, you'll do great. It doesn't make any sense. And yet the Lord tells us, when you are weak, then you are strong. Why? Because we begin to lean more on Him, because wouldn't it be great if we could just, even in our, our skill set, even in something that we're really, really good at, if we totally leaned on Jesus, oh man, that'd be great. But we don't. We lean on our own understanding. We lean on our own strength. Because we're good at it, we think, well, that's something I, the, the Lord wants to use me for that because I'm really good at it. Instead, we have to lean into him, especially in our weakness, especially when our weaknesses become very, very evident. We're much more apt to say, Lord, help me, like Peter does. He reaches out and says, Lord, help me. Isaiah 41.10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. These are the kind of verses that bring hope to me when I'm failing or when I'm faced with my weaknesses or when I'm faced with a challenge that I know I can't overcome. It's very nice to look at this and realize it's God, His strength, His power, His ability that I need to lean into. What we need to understand and realize as we read this account of Peter, Peter's ability to walk on water. How good do you think he was at walking on water? Not very good. That's not why Jesus calls him to walk on water. Not because Peter's good at it. He probably didn't have a very good track record of walking on water. I don't know if he ever tried it like I did as a kid, but he probably failed if he did. I don't know why he would have because he didn't have this story yet. But it wasn't because of Peter's ability that Jesus says, come, come to me, Peter. Because Peter had no ability in that area. Your ability isn't why God called you. And we really need to understand this because we're gonna have this little meeting after church called the nominating committee. And what does the nominating committee do? They nominate people for open positions. And I will tell you because I've, I chair the nominating committee every year as a lead pastor. One of the things we talk about in the nominating committee is, well, I don't know if John's good for that position because he's terrible at it. We will talk about ability. Wouldn't it be great if we just, you know what? I really feel like this person is called for this position. Well, they're terrible at that. I know, I know, I don't know. I just think we should put them in that position because they are terrible at it. And we're going to watch God show up. That is so important. And yet we fail at this so often. We say no to a ministry. Someone says, hey, I'd really love you to do this. I don't know, join the worship team. How many of you that are terrible at singing are excited to sing on the worship team? Fawn says she's going to join the worship team. Ah, uh, I'm terrible at singing. <clears throat> no, well, I would like to sing. No one else likes it when I sing especially if I have a microphone. I'm going to turn this thing on one of these Sundays, all right? But we don't do things if we feel like we're not good at them. We don't want to be a part of that ministry because we feel like we might not be good at it. We don't want to be a part of that team if we don't feel like we'd be good at it. We don't want to help with something because we feel like we might not be good at it. If we truly understood what God is saying here, we would be far more concerned with, hey, Lord, is this something you want me to do? Not evaluating offers to be a part of something based on what we're good or not good at. Because, as some of you have found, you start doing something, you feel called to something, someone invites you, and maybe you're just you just not good at saying no, and so you help them with something, or you're a part of something, and you realize, man, I have no skill here, but this is awesome. God is doing cool things here, and I'm experiencing him. I've, I've had multiple accounts of that, where I knew God was saying do it and I didn't want to do it because I was terrible at it and God shows up and awesome things happen. One of the other areas the enemy will uh, point out your inadequacy is that he will also remind you of your past failures. Anybody here not have any failures? You've succeeded at er absolutely everything your hands have ever been set to and you do everything perfect? Okay, just one person. What does God say about our failures? James chapter 1, verses 2-4. to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I don't know about you, but I played group sports, I played football, I played track, and practice is miserable many times for sports Uh, you push yourself harder the goal if you don't know if you've never played sports the goal is to push yourself harder in practice than you ever anticipate being pushed in a game okay because why if you push yourself harder in practice then you will always or you will generally be pretty successful when game time comes because you will be far more conditioned than you need to be. Better to be more conditioned than not conditioned enough. And I can tell you, the point of coaches is many times to point out you're not perfect, and they will purposely push you to fail. One of the things, as I announced this morning, uh, martial arts. I love martial arts. Uh, I got into that many years ago, and I've, I've very much enjoyed that. And I learned that f- black belts uh, in some of the more traditional styles. One of the things you do is you have to fight multiple people to get your black belt. Not fight as in like an all-out brawl, but uh, you have to fight these uh, multiple people. And if they're trained, the point of this exercise is not that you have no chance of beating them. It doesn't matter how trained you are. The point is to humble you, to make you realize you will fail. You can fail. You are fallible as a person. If you've never experienced that as an individual, you might need a humbling experience to realize you are fallible. You aren't perfect. You're going to fail. And it's a good thing to fail. What? It doesn't make any sense. Why would it be a good thing to fail? Many times, first off, because it humbles us, makes us realize that we are in need of other people, especially if you're part of a group sport. You need to learn to lean on other people to lean into other people. We here, at part of Dubois Alliance, we're a family. And we need to learn to lean on other people. Some of you have failed. Man, you failed big. And the tendency is to run away from church when we fail. To not attend, to not be a part, to not get into community. And that is 100% exactly what the enemy wants. Because if we learn how to fail together, man, we get pretty strong. We get pretty powerful. When, when we fail, we know this is the place to come. These are the people who will surround us, love us, because they have failed too. When we can fail openly together, we will have an authenticity you cannot replicate any other way. It's when we can fail, when we have the comfortability to say, guys, I'm done, I'm burnt out, I know I said I would do this ministry for such and such a time, but I am completely burnt out. I am so done. Please come beside me. Come help me. Failure is often a great testing ground. You don't build endurance without failure. You must take yourself. Now, I I also like to lift weights, uh, and you learn by lifting weights you do this thing called failure. You, You lift until failure Because that's when you can push yourself the most, is when you push till, if you always do what is comfortable, you will not grow nearly as much. Failure is a great testing ground. And our failures don't define us. It's what we do after the failure that is far more important. Giving up, stopping quitting, especially on what God has called us to do, is a greater failure than just failing along the way. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. We never give up on Jesus. Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about how maybe your plate is uh, a little too full. You have too much stuff on your plate and maybe God is calling you to get rid of things. This, this, this verse isn't saying that we never uh, say, I can't do it. I need help. That's not giving up. That's doing exactly what the Bible tells us to do and, and getting into community and asking for community involvement and community help. Giving up is when we say, I can't do it, so I'm just not going to go to church for the next three years until this is blown over, and then I'll go back and act like nothing ever happened that's giving up. Or I'll just go to another church where nobody knows me and I don't have to deal with these problems anymore. I don't have to actually face my problems. I'll just go somewhere else. Failure isn't a sign of a lack of faith or that we're not following God. When we fail, you might have failed in ministry. You might have tried something. I've tried a lot of things and they failed miserably. It's not a sign that, well, you just don't have any faith. Or you must not have been following God because you failed at that. Proverbs 24, 16, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. See, I love watching people fail, especially people that I'm discipling, and watch them get back up and begin to move forward because 99% of the time they have learned something when they failed. I could give you illustration after illustration from history of how many times Edison failed and how many times this person failed and how Michael Jordan failed and he didn't even make a team at one point, he got cut from a team and all of these instances of where people have failed and it was failure that drove them. But my argument would be, you probably know, failure can be a really good thing. If you talk about a season of your life where you learned the most or where maybe you grew the most with Jesus, a lot of times it'll be surrounding a time of failure. Whether it was moral failure that drove you to Jesus, whether it was f- failure in your family, in your job, and just in life in general, it drove you to a deeper relationship with Christ. So failure can, can be a good thing. And Paul, man, he really knew how to deal with past failure because he had a lot of it. Paul lived a life as a man named Saul that he was ashamed of. There was a lot of stuff that happened that someone could point to and say, that was a pretty bad failure. But look at what he says in Philippians three thirteen to 14. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You, like Paul, might have a track record of failure. You might have failed miserably multiple times in your past. You might look at someone in this room and and say, that person's a failure. I've watched that person mess up time after time after time after time. You may have experienced humiliating defeat in an area that God is calling you to go back to. Or, this might resonate more with some of you, you might just be a perfectionist who doesn't believe they can do what God is calling them to do with 100% perfection. And so you say no when God says do it. Forget the past. Look forward to what lies ahead. Maybe the enemy will remind you of your inadequacy by also pointing out your lack of experience. Maybe that's the next avenue the enemy will take you. Remind you, you don't have any experience in that. Well, what does God say about that? Again, I could tell you about how God chose David over all of his bigger, better-looking, more... Uh, efficient, I don't know, be, be, just better equipped brothers. They all were bigger, faster, stronger, better. Uh, David wasn't even a thought when Samuel was there. I don't know if you have a dad that ever thought, oh, wait, I forgot I had another kid. Uh, but that wouldn't feel too good. That's how David was. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the little runt that's out watching the sheep. I guess I can call him in, but there's no way that God wants him to be king. I could tell you about that story. Or I could tell you about how God chose a young girl, not even married, to raise the Savior of the world. Who wasn't experienced, didn't have experience. It's not like she had nine kids and was like, okay, I got this. Give me Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I'll raise him now. Or I could just remind you, It is not about your adequacy. Your experience is irrelevant. It doesn't matter when God calls you to do something. Because you know who is experienced? The Holy Spirit. He's pretty good. And He's the one that empowers us. What matters is your faith. Of the Holy Spirit. And that he can do what he says he can do. What matters is the Holy Spirit inside you. I encourage you, whenever you're feeling inexperienced, whenever you're feeling like you're inadequate, whenever you're feeling like you just cannot do something and you feel that strong pull of God saying, do this thing, come, do this. Read Hebrews 11 sometime. And notice how most of the verses start with this line. It was by faith, that, da-da-da-da-da. All these things that are accomplished. It doesn't say it was because Abraham was such an awesome man. It doesn't say, well, because Moses was so great. It doesn't say because this person was so skilled or because their IQ was above 160 or because they were really well-educated or because they had a really good home life or because they had you know the right training and because they did 15,000 evangelism trainings that Paul was so good by faith. And then you get to the end in Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 35. The author says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight women received their loved ones back again from death but others were tortured refusing to turn from god in order to be set free they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection what this is saying is their eyes weren't on the storm they weren't on the waves they were on jesus They looked ahead, they looked forward to what was coming, and that's where their hope was. Peter learns this later in life. But in this account, in this moment, he doesn't know that yet. He hasn't got there yet. Some of you haven't got there yet. There's no shame in it. Jesus doesn't seek to shame Peter. He doesn't walk past him as he's drowning. He reaches out his hand and says, Why didn't you trust me? And I guarantee you that haunted Peter for many years until he did trust Jesus. Until he saw Jesus before he saw the waves, before he saw the storm, and nothing else matters as he's walking to a cross to die himself. He, was, he considered it joy to die for Jesus because his eyes were set on something else after that. Your faith not in your ability, not in your adequacy, is what is so important. And your faith in the Holy Spirit who empowers you. Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says, When you are arrested, I hope none of you, this doesn't apply for you this week. Uh, when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So I share this verse with you because I need someone to preach next week. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, some of you were like, oh I hope God doesn't tell me to do that. What this is about is the reality that they were going to be arrested. Jesus knew that. And he knew when they were arrested they were going to be questioned and they were going to be hounded. And these were not intelligent guys. They were not really well-educated. They didn't have philosophy of religion. They didn't have all these cool Bible classes that I had. They just knew Jesus. They loved him. They served him. They knew what they saw. And Jesus says, don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit in you, (laughs) he's got it covered. And if we could learn to live like that, man, it changes a lot of stuff. It's the Holy Spirit and His adequacy that we should focus on. At this point, you should have noticed by now that I have not argued for your adequacy. I haven't tried to argue like, you are awesome, you're great, you're so good at what you do. That's not what this sermon is about. I've not encouraged you to think more highly of yourself. I think there's places for that, but that's not what this is about. The point isn't to look at yourself in the mirror and look at yourself in the eyes and say, I got this. That's what a lot of self-help teaches you. Maybe what even some pastors would teach you to do. But I encourage you to look at yourself in the mirror, look right in your eyes and say, you're going to mess this all up. You need Jesus. And if we started every morning like that, that would change our day. Just make it very clear to yourself, you will mess this all up if you try to do this on your own. You, sir or ma'am, you're going to need Jesus today. Don't forget that. Man, that would be a nice mantra to start your day with. Because you don't got this. You will mess it up given your own strength, your own ability, your own skills. Let me make one thing very clear today. If you attempt to do what God's called you to do on your own, you will sink just like Peter did. Because at one moment or another, as Peter walked toward Jesus, he attempted to think it was about him and his ability to get to Jesus. And he found out where that gets him because he very quickly began to sink. There's a verse I share often, and it's one that you should remember. When the enemy is reminding you of your inadequacy, and it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Man, if you would just let the power of the Holy Spirit flow through you without your attempts to make it adequate, who man, he would do some stuff. Our community would be different because of Christ in you. He's not a power that can be contained. He's not a power that can be controlled. And if we just sat back and allowed him to work, the results would be amazing. Knowing the power of the Holy Spirit flows through me and enables me to do what God's called me to do is the most comforting thought ever if you want to know when I deal with anxiety it's when it's Thursday and I still feel like God hasn't given me the sermon and I'm sitting there staring at a screen and like I can't do this the stuff I come up with is always garbage but man when God gives me stuff it's cool And it resonates with people and it speaks to people. And I'm like, well, that was cool because, man, what I would have done is garbage. We need to focus less on trying harder. I need to say this because we're all Americans and we need to hear this because that's been the mantra like in America for so long. Try harder, try harder, try harder. Stop trying harder to be better, to be a better you. That's not what the gospel says. We need to focus less on trying harder, less on thinking that if we were just more talented, if we were just more educated, if we were just more bold, or that if we were just better Christians, that we would be able to perform at a better level for God. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Being a better Christian will not make you perform better for God. Flat out. Learning how to submit to the Holy Spirit, to God, man, that will do some awesome things for the kingdom of God. When we get our eyes off ourself, off our skills, off our abilities, then God can do cool things. He can even increase our abilities and increase our skill, because we stop leaning on them, and we lean on Him. John 3:30 makes it very clear: He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. That's what is so vitally important. What I do want to acknowledge is that fear is a real thing. Talked about this last week. What I do not want to do is minimize what you're going through or the things which are taking your eyes off Jesus. Fear is a real thing. That Peter's fear of the waves and of the ocean and of the storm, they were real and they were sensible fears. They made sense and they were—they would make sense to anybody that was on the water. Fear of inadequacy can be demotivating at best. We still do what God calls us to do, but we don't do it with all of the oomph that we would have because we feel like we're going to fail, we're going to mess up. We have that constant nagging fear that we're going to mess it all up. Or fear of inadequacy is crippling at its worst. It's driven us to say no. It's driven us to get out of ministries, to not do ministry, to attend church as little as possible, to be involved in as little as possible because we just don't feel like we are adequate. If God is calling you to do something, That is a huge opportunity for the enemy to remind you how inadequate you are to accomplish the purposes of God because it's true. Remember our truish series, though? We talked about how the enemy will use half-truths or even things that are 100% true to lie to us. And see, what he does in this area is he takes a truth, you stink, at everything that God calls you to do. And he uses it to convince you that's the reason you shouldn't do it. That's the reason you should say no when they ask you to be a part of that ministry because you're not any good at it. You're terrible. You'll mess it up. You might even be good at it. You're just going to mess it up though. So don't do it. And that's where he turns a truth into a lie. Because the reality that you're not good at it is exactly why you should say yes when God calls you. Not when like anybody asks you to be a part of a ministry, but when God calls you to do it. And the enemy says, don't forget you're terrible at this, and you go, perfect then, that's why God's calling me. Because he wants to show up. He wants me to learn how to lean more on him through this, because I am terrible at this. Yes, I'll be a part, I'll do whatever it is God calls me to do. That's why you should step out in faith and allow your faith to grow, to be stretched, Because that's far more important than that you are good at something. And as you step out in faith, you get to see God show up and show off. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in my life it has not had anything to do with my skills, my ability, my adequacy, because I would not be here today if that were true. God, I thank you that early on you began to teach me what it is all about, that our faith in you is what should drive our decisions, is what should drive our yeses when you call us to do something. And God, I firmly believe there are people in this room that know they are called to do something. They know you've been nagging on their heart to be a part of something, to to be a part of a ministry or to, to do something in particular. And because of their inadequacy, they have said no. Or they've decided they don't deserve to be a part of it. Lord, I pray you would break down those walls and help them realize it's Christ in them that will accomplish the things which you call them to. God, I pray as we stand on the water of whatever our calling is, of whatever you're telling us to do, we wouldn't focus on the waves or the storm or, or of all of the things as real as they might be. We wouldn't focus on the things which seek to take us out, but we would focus our eyes on you. We would stop feeding the fear and we would feed our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to uh, think about that this week as you deal and wrestle with your own inadequacy. I'm going to give us two minutes to just kind of shuffle about uh, if you need to use the restroom or whatever. Uh, members, those of you who are official members of the church, uh, you'll be the ones voting. If you're not a member, you can still hang out and, and stay here and, and uh, listen to our conversation about nominating committee. But in two minutes, it's 1140, 1142, we'll come back and we'll uh, do our nominating. So if you have to talk to somebody and you haven't talked to them yet, do that about nominating or whatever. In two minutes, we'll be back here.